Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to the New Books in Sports, a channel on the New Books Network. My name is Keith Rathbun, and I'm coming to you, I jokingly say live from Macquarie University. We're actually in lockdown here in Sydney. So if you hear my daughter, that's because she's up at 10 p.m. and I'm furious. Uh, so I'm here in lockdown, and I'm here speaking with a good friend of mine and an author of a just fabulous book. Uh, I'm here speaking with Philippe Bonnard. He is a, a senior research fellow uh, at the Université de Lausanne, uh, funded by the Swiss National Science Foundation. And he is the author of, well, many things, but here we're talking about his one of his recent books, uh, Creating a United Football or creating a united Europe of football, the formation of UEFA 1949 to 1961. This is out with Paul Grave McMillan in 2020. Welcome, bienvenue, I should say, Philippe. How are you doing? Yeah, hello, Kiss. Hello, everybody. Very happy to, to be here and to discuss a little bit with you about this book. Philippe, can you tell us uh, at the beginning, um, you know, how you became a sports uh, historian, and, and how did you develop this project on UEFA? Oh, wow, it's a, it's a long, long history. Um, but um, first, um, I have to say, well, um, I was born in, in, in Lausanne 40 years ago, and I did all my, my school here, comprehensive school college, but I, I study more economy, you know, and, and after I'm I work during uh, two two years in in a bank, but um, I I always thought that I was not in my place. And uh, when I remember my time in school, I was always interested in history, in French, in geography. And finally, I said, okay, perhaps one time I have to do something in 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 this with this topic. And I come back to study at at. 25 years old, you know, to the university. And uh, I became uh, a bachelor in, in political sciences. And then um, I, I was lucky because um, at the University of Lausanne, it was, it was the beginning of the sports institute. And uh, when I finished my bachelor, there was this, this opportunity to do a master called uh, social sciences and sports. And it means uh, half time, of course, in, in social sciences, anthropology, uh, sociology, history, and half time of uh, specialization in sports uh, history, sports sociology, sports psychology. And uh, so it, it, it was a very uh, a good time. And uh, so I'm... I did my, my master, and then at the end, I, I uh, complete uh, a master thesis about the 
the beginning and of the European Champions Club Cup. And that is, uh, we, we were in 1909, uh, 1910, uh, no, no 20, 2010. And uh, at the end of this process, my, my, my supervisor, Nicolas Bancel, he, he told me, uh, if I, I wanted to, to, to do, he asked me if I want, if I want to do a, a PhD and he hired me as, as assistant. So that is when, when it, it, it began. And you've, you've, um, kind of, and this will jump into the, the book, but you've kind of centered the question of European identity in most of your work, Philippe. So I, I wonder if you could, as a, as a way of segueing into, into this particular book, talk a little bit about how important is football for European identity for you? I mean, it seems like that's the center, the center hinge of some of your work. So can you talk about Europe, Europe and football? What, what's going on there? Yeah, it's, it's a huge, uh, huge question, I think, because uh, first, um, but wh- what does it mean, European identity? And um, particularly, the, the, the sociologists are very uh, careful with these terms. They prefer uh, probably to speak about consciousness or uh, in French, uh, sentiment d'appartenance. I don't know if you can translate this, but... Uh, well, a sentiment of, of almost like feeling, maybe. I don't know. Appartenance is not... I'd have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> okay, so but but it means perhaps something a little bit less uh, less strong, you know, than yeah. uh, identity, and but belonging what, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, perhaps perhaps yeah. And but and wh- why they use this? Um, it's it's because the I think historians and sociologists are are, have, are agree to to to. To say that there there are some links between European in a short long term and and one of of finally my my work was also to to emphasize the fact that football uh, could be uh, like a, a bridge uh, or a, or a point uh, that that create um, like uh, a, a union between uh, the Europeans. Why? Because, because football is, 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 ma- is mainly a European game. It was, it was uh, uh, created in this continent. And when you travel around the continent, what, what, what do you see in, 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 big, in big cities or in small villages? You, you, you always... Uh, see uh, a football pitch, or you, you you often see people that play football. Even uh, you have not a real pitch, you know. So um, f- football, uh, it's it's not the the most important sport in all European countries. But in all European countries, you you have uh, you have uh, football clubs. And football is is one of the, of the most important sports. So, so so I think uh, uh, what what I try to to see is to the role of of, of football in a long term perspective in in this link between uh, Europeans. And uh, it is difficult to identify uh, this process. So you have to choose. <laughs> One perhaps one topic, and my my uh, my choose was around European competition and also uh, European uh, organization of, of the game. Yeah, you've you've researched. I mean, a number of different competitions, as you say, in, as well as the, the the European Champions Cup, as you talked earlier, the Middle Europa Cup, and this is kind of in some ways. A culmination, I feel like, of some of that earlier work, because here you're taking on the big, you know, the the, the biggest thing in in European football organization in some ways, UEFA. So, can you tell us? Just give us a little bit about what the book's about. 
so that people who haven't read it like I have uh, can get a sense as to what creating a united Europe of football is about. Yeah, um, uh, but ju- just and perhaps around the context, I just come back. So uh, why why finally uh, I have uh, began this uh, this study? So as as I said, when when I was hired um, uh, to be assistant of Professor Nicola Bonsell, the idea was also but to to help him with with lessons with administrative part, but also to do a PhD. And my, my master's thesis was around the creation of the European uh, Champions Club Cup. So the idea was to 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 understand why this old project. So because you have already project to create a European competition for, for, for the club since the interwar period. But why this, this project has been finally realized in the middle of the 50s in a time where Europeans were mainly divided by Cold War. So it, it's, it's a, a, a very interesting to, to see this. And I try to, to understand, okay, the the goal of the main promoter, but also more generally, what what change in European football that permits the fact that the promoter managed to create the competition. You know, so I, I think the the, the the goal of promoters has has always to be related to to a general context and particularly the the, the economical. Uh, the political, the mediatic, and institutional context of football. So that that was the, the, the beginning of my reflection, and then I I, I wanted to to go on with with this topic of uh, European competition, but you know, and you are historians too, uh, Kiss. Sometimes you you find incredible materials, and these materials. Uh, as an impact on what you are doing. And in my case, it was this wonderful UEFA archives, you know, the, the European, uh, U, the, the UEFA, it's uh, the Union of, of uh, European uh, Association, you know. And uh, in 2011, I, I was lucky to to go there and to to see that there were a, a lot of uh, folders, uh, incredible stuff, and I, I realized that finally very few scholars have have had access to this uh, to these uh, materials. So it totally changed my, my, my goal. And finally, I said, okay, I have to do a, an history of the beginning of UEFA by using these uh, materials. And so uh, at the end of the process, what I can I say about this book is you, the, the book has, has three different axes. You know, the first one is to understand what uh, the... You, the creation of UEFA at the middle of the of the fifties changed for European football. What what UEFA brings new to European football? So the second uh, axis is to understand why uh, UEFA, this pan-European organization, uh, has been created in the middle of the fifties, but how the the football leaders manage to create. A pan-European organization that is very um, uh, special regarding all the other European organizations that exist at, at this period in culture, in economy, in in technology, uh, in sciences, because the mainly uh, the the, mo- the main the, sorry the most of this organization are composed by Western European countries. And the third axis was also to understand why, finally, UEFA has been created in the middle of the 50s. And to understand this, it was important to, to, to relate this to the global history of football and notably the change in, 
in the FIFA organization and also the role of the South American leaders in this process. Yeah, that was one of the things I really, um, when in, in reading it, I was surprised by, but also that I really appreciated about your book is that it's not just a kind of continental study of European football. Um, it's not just a, a, a deep dive into some of the personalities that helped bring UEFA into being, but that it does take a global frame. And it explains that UEFA wouldn't have happened in the way that it happened if it hadn't been for its uh, context within this infighting within FIFA. So, I, I mean, I, what, for people who are listening, that one of the reasons to read the book is to understand the formation of UEFA. Another reason to read the book is to understand the emergence of UEFA within the broader context of uh, global football. So that, I mean, I have to applaud you for that. That was really, um, I thought was one of the excellent parts of the book. Philippe, I want to turn us towards um, some of the content uh, and more. And I, I was wondering if we could start out in, in your uh, first, uh, well, I guess your first body uh, chapter, Reorganizing European Football, you get into um, some of the reasons why the the interwar wasn't the moment and why the 1950s was the moment when this had to happen. Um, so I, I wonder if you can start us off by talking about why didn't a broader pan-European system originated in the 1930s and why did it have to wait to the 1950s what are some of the factors that led to the 50s being the moment when it could happen yeah but i think um, an important precision here also for the people who are listening um is uh, of course the, the 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 book published in english it began after the second world war but but in 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 my my PhD uh, thesis was from ninety to sixty, and the French version it began uh, during the interwar period and it goes to the sixties and and I think it is important to to say that because my 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 whole reflection it's it's not from from the end of the forties to the beginning of the sixties it's it's taken also the interwar period that is. Why probably you 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 ask me something about what's <laughs> what's happened before the the Second World War? Yes, and, the big context. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now, but uh, a, lo- a lot of things change uh, after the, the the Second World War, and I think, of course, the the international um, as. Barbara Keys has, 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 I think, rightly spoken in in my in my idea of of a, like an international sport community during the interwar period, and we can probably also uh, talk about a European football community during the interwar period because you have already a, a, a lot of exchanges. Uh, the, the FIFA created in in 1904. Uh, during the interwar period, it was like like kind of of uh, a, a European forum, you know, for the for the football leaders, for the journalists too. Uh, the, the 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 first edition of the of the World Cup, particularly uh, the, the edition in Italy in in for, in thirty four and in France four years later. It's it's also mainly composed by European. Uh, national team. So, of course, the, the, during the interwar period, you have, you have already exchanges between between European. But what what changed after the Second World War? You have you have different kind of process. Uh, first, you have of course the development of football in in the world, and uh, the development of football uh, means that you have uh, new associations that are created. Uh, notably in, in Asia, in Central America, and this association wanted to, 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 to be membership of FIFA. Second, you have also this, and it's, it's of course related to the first one, it's, it's a decolonization process. Because with decolonization, you are more and more countries, 
And these countries wanted to play at international stage and to have uh, like a national team in football, but also to be representative in FIFA. Uh, could be a good opportunity to be recognized by the international community. So you are more and more member uh, in, in FIFA. And uh, I think also an important point that we, 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 um, it is important not to, to forget, it's the comeback of the uh, four uh, British association in uh, 46. And the British Association, uh, I think uh, you have already uh, many scholars that have pointed out this, this point, notably Matthew Taylor and others, the fact that, that during the interwar period, the, the, the British Association were, were uh, sometimes in FIFA, sometimes outside FIFA. You have, uh, I think, a, a very, very interesting paper by Peter Beck on, on this point. Uh, but the fact that after Second World War, the, the four British Association come, came back and they wanted to play a role inside FIFA. And, and they, they, they said, okay, we have to reorganize FIFA uh, to accommodate the structure to be more finely uh, in, phase, in phase with what's happened in the world. And in the meantime, you have also the arrival in '47 of the Soviet Union. And Soviet Union wanted, and I think Jennifer Parks and Sylvain Dufres have, have well shown this, have, have also this, this idea uh, very quickly to be part of this uh, international sports community and play more and more important role. So all, all these things make that at the beginning of the 50s, uh, we, we need some change in FIFA's uh, organization. And, and one of the things that you're able to show, because you've been able to get into UEFA's archives, and because, I mean, more than other people, I would say, you have a, you have a good sense of the key figures, um, you're able to show the tension within FIFA itself. Um, was FIFA accepting of all of these changes? They were all on board? Or was FIFA kind of sclerotic and old? Because when I'm reading your book, part of the story for me also is, the change, the new guard within within European football itself. Of course, uh, I, I've tried. Uh, it is not it is not simple because uh, uh, in in two or three minutes it's difficult to, to, to talk <laughs> about all of this. But I've tried to give me all to, the exact committee members <laughs> <laughs> to to describe the the context, you know, the global context of change. But of course, in this context of change, you have the characters. And you are right. At the beginning of the 50s, you have probably new leaders that merge in European football. Because, of course, European uh, football leaders were... Enfin, European football were, were still in hegemony on, 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 global, uh, on, on the governance of the global game at this period. So the... the, the the European football leaders were very important. And the, the fact that new guys like uh, the, the Englishman uh, Stanley Roos, the Italian Barassi, Swiss uh, Ernst Thoman, the fact that these new guys that, that were already involved in football during the interwar period, but the fact that they began to be active at the top governance of the FIFA, uh, they, 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 they bring, they bring with, with them new ideas and they, they realize that it was necessary to change something inside FIFA, to reorganize the, the, the organization, to, to, to finally uh, respond to uh, what, what I said before, uh, the, the, the fact that you have more and more membership, the fact that uh, you have new actors, important actors that wanted to play a role inside FIFA. The fact also, and we can discuss a little bit later about this point, the, the, the South American claims that exist since the, the interwar period for more representation in, inside FIFA. So the, 
so th these three guys and and of course other around them understand that it was necessary to probably do a reorganization and finally the 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 solution was okay we accept to create some continental confederation inside fifa to to be finally to to facilitate uh, the governance of the uh, organization but of course what they didn't really expect or they perhaps they didn't think is the fact that this um, continental confederation could quickly develop itself and particularly uefa and so that's why it's it's very quickly you you the the, the governance of of the game will change why because you 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 will have a conflict between fifa that wanted to keep uh, the the hegemony on the on the game and this continental confederation that uh, take year after years more and more power so 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 i think the the 50s is very interesting to to understand what happened in the in the in the next decades in the governance of of the game because you have this this very important change with the creation of of continental confederation yeah and i i mean just from my point of view i mean i think the 50s are historically in a lot of fields but especially in sports history just understudied people don't know and i'm i'm guilty of that myself i'm one of the many many people looking at the interwar <laughs> but the 50s are under understudied um it as you mentioned south america plays such a big role in the story and you think uh for trying to understand why uefa forms why do we need to go to south america but your fourth chapter is called the South American model. And you spend a lot of time talking about what South American sport leaders um, wanted to do. So I wonder if you can talk us through in a little bit more detail. What is it that South American leaders want? And, and, and who are some of the figures there? And just kind of like, what is the South American model? Why did, why did you need to have a whole chapter on it? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think, um, that of course to to understand uh, uh, a process like the the, the, the the creation of Europe European uh, European bodies, we can only focus finally on what happened in Europe, you know. But as I say, uh, uh, finally, uh, already since the interwar period, uh, th this European governance of the game. Um, was finally decided inside FIFA. But FIFA is not a European organization, it's an international organization. What does it mean? It, it means the fact that you have already in the interwar period some associations that didn't come from Europe, and particularly the South American uh, as Football Association. Why? Because, as you probably know, uh, football was developed in South America in the same line, in, in the same process as in, in Europe. So perhaps not uh, with the same goal, but, but if you take the chronology, it's very similar. So during the interwar period, you have already strong championship strong national, uh, national team in South America. And what also was very particular in South America since uh, 1915, 1916, you have already a South uh, a Confederation for South uh, American um, uh, 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 association and this uh, uh, body, this organization, we we don't know yet a lot about this confederation. We we need further investigation 
For, for instance, uh, I have a, a good colleague, Lorenzo uh, Jalabert Damadio, is finishing a PhD thesis about uh, a reassessment of the first World Cup in Uruguay. And I think in one of two chapters, he will give a little bit more about this, uh, the development of this confederation during the 20s. And it will be very interesting because we don't know more uh, a lot about this uh, history yet. But this confederation already organized a continental conf uh, championship, the Copa America. And during the 30s, They, they, beg, they begin to be like a South American voice inside FIFA. So it was not all the countries that were agreed with this because due to some uh, political issues, notably uh, at some point Argentina left uh, the confederation, Brazil were not, was not already... Um, um, In, in good terms with, with confederation too. But, but what, what we see, it's with the time, and particularly during the 40s, you have a reinforcement of the, of the power of this uh, confederation, of this South American confederation. And after the Second World War, it began really to be the voice of South American in FIFA. So for European, it was important because when they, for instance, in, in the um, fifth, uh, 1952 Congress at Helsinki, the European face to the uh, South American leaders and the South American leaders um, uh, talk in the name of the South American Confederation. So it was like the, the, the European That, that were divided by Cold War and other, other things, were faced to like a block, you know. So it was a, probably a source of inspiration for guys like Barassi, Ruth, Thoman. And when the, the European created uh, the UEFA, but how you, how, what, what, what are you doing when you create something? But you try to inspire about what's Uh, already exist. And what already exists was this South American Confederation. And uh, notably, South American Confederation has uh, received money from FIFA, you know, because on each international game, FIFA perceived 2%. And on this 2%, FIFA give back 1% to the South American Confederation. That means that the Confederation could have a little independence regarding financial issue. So when European wanted to foster a little bit UEFA, it was important to have this in financial uh, independence. And one of the possibilities was to do the same as South uh, American. You know? So that is what I think we can we can indicates that the South American uh, Confederation could be seen as like a model for, uh, for European uh, leaders and particularly for the UEFA promoters. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, one, one of um, the things that your book does really well, Philippe, is that because you've had access to the UEFA uh, archives, you can kind of, in, in the FIFA um, archives, you, you, you can kind of piece out uh, the process by which the decision to organize UEFA is actually part of this move within FIFA as well to um, reorganize this executive committee. I, I don't know... If, if you had to explain that right now, there's so many twists and turns. I think it would be unfair to say like, hey, Philippe, explain all the debates that were going on in FIFA about <laughs> exec committee. Um, your book does that really well. Um, but 
to speed through that <laughs> without punishing you. Um, th there, there's a lot of internal politics that lead to Europe as a continent needing to make decisions about who to send to executive committee that necessitates a kind of emergence of a confederation. And, and so I, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about, you know, that first moment then. I, I, what is it, you know, what is UEFA when it's founded and were there different possibilities for it? I know one of the things that they were thinking about at the time is what would be the, the what was the scope of the confederation? It's geographic boundaries, but also how was it going to be a big, medium, little in terms of the kind of work that it did, like obtrusive or inobtrusive? So can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, when, when they were, when they decided they needed an UEFA, how, how did they decide what kind of UEFA they needed? Yeah, of course. Um, as, as I said, for, for, firstly, it was mainly people involved in FIFA that decided, okay, we, 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 we will create the European organization. But I think the, one of the very important decisions was taken during the, the first meet, the first uh, really official meeting, because before there were already unofficial uh, meeting, meeting between European football leaders to discuss about uh, the FIFA's reorganization process and the opportunity to create a, confed a confederation. But what happened in um, 15 June uh, 1954 in Basel is very important. Because during this meeting, uh, the leaders decided one important point. They decided that the executive committee of what will be uh, called UEFA some months later will be composed by persons who, who will be not at the same time in the executive committee of FIFA. Because we, we, could, we could imagine that finally... They, they said, okay, but uh, we, uh, as one of the tasks of UEFA was to, um, to choose uh, six members to compose the executive committee of FIFA, we could have imagined that these people could have been also the executive committee of UEFA. But they, they, they choose not to follow this way, but to finally separate the thing. And this separation was very important in the future. Why? Because finally, you you have two uh, like two uh, like, like two group. You have the executive committee of UEFA, and you have the the guy who have representative from UEFA at FIFA. But uh, it not does it mean that these people will be agree on the same line. <laughs> and what, what, what will be problematic, the fact that the people we work at, at, at for FIFA, we wanted to foster FIFA. And in the meantime, the people who we work at the executive committee of UEFA wanted to foster UEFA. And that's why you, you will have uh, during the... The, the five first years of UEFA, very quickly some tension between uh, this, these two groups. Uh, and it is only at the end of the, of the 50s, beginning of the 60s, when uh, promoters as Barassi, Toman, that were inside the FIFA Executive Com Committee understood that, okay, but UEFA is now independent from FIFA, uh, that we accept this and we try to find some compromise, you know. And so they, they were very, for instance, the, 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 the European leaders in FIFA Executive Committee were very against the idea of a European uh, competition for the nation. Why? Because they, they thought that it was a concurrence to the World Cup. And we have to imagine that in the 50s, World Cup was not the World Cup as we, we know now. It was, of course, already an important competition, but it was not so huge that now. So 
they thought this leader thought that it was perhaps a concurrency in, in the possible development of the World Cup, you know. Uh, as other thing, uh, when UEFA asked to follow this South American model that FIFA uh, gave one percent of of on on the two percent of of the money that FIFA received on international games between between a national uh, European team, FIFA FIFA said, but but uh, we 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 will take money that is important for our development. So you will kill finally the FIFA, you know. So so the, the, and so that is why. In, it was very complicated, and uh, it's very funny because in UEFA archive, I've I found the first flag of of UEFA, you know. And this first flag, you you have the name of UEFA, but before you have uh, uh, at the top of the flag, you have the name of FIFA. And in uh, 1958, the name of FIFA. Was finally um, uh, erased from the flag, you know. So, <laughs> and and it shows that finally UEFA was more and more independent from FIFA. And also, other funny thing at the beginning of the sixties, when when you had again new discussion about the possible reorganization of FIFA, you have. Um, uh, a meeting between the board of UEFA and board of the South American Confederation to see what could be the better strategy to, un- to unify their strengths against the executive committee of FIFA, you know. So it, 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 it's really interesting how it, it was a time of, of trouble, but, it, but with the time when we see this, it's normal too, because as I said, the, the creation of the Continental Confederation, it was a huge change in the, in the finally, in the football, uh, in the global football governance. Yeah, I, um, one, of the, one of the other things I liked about your writing of it, Philippe, is you can really see how some of the, the UEFA leaders are very, savvy about their relationship with FIFA, antagonistic at times, but often conciliatory, and also willing to hide behind FIFA if they needed to, like in these disputes they had over the geographic boundaries of UEFA, is Turkey in, is Israel in? They were quite happy to to pass the ball to FIFA and go, no, no, you decide these sticky questions. Like, we don't want to actually deal, like, we don't want to come down on the question of whether Turkey is in UEFA or not. So, why don't we give it to you and you make you make a tough decision? Um, yeah, I, I did. Yeah, I did like that. Yeah, on this on this point, it's also very interesting because I've I have uh, point out the of course the the conflict, but in the meantime, you have also a lot of cooperation. And when you saw the history, you see that you have often a transferred. From uh, but look, uh, Gianni Infantino now he was a former uh, UEFA general secretary. Uh, in the past, uh, the first UEFA president Ebe Schwartz. So that he, he fight a little bit against FIFA executive board on on some point, but after when he resigned from his position from UEFA president. What, what happened to him? But he became one of a member of the FIFA executive committee. So that, that's why, you know, it's, it's always a game uh, of strategy, you know. You are sometimes against, sometimes with. And I think one also the goal of, of my book, and I think in the French version, as it is more on a long durée, you, you see probably this better, was also to, to understand the strategy of the, of the football leaders to manage with all this uh, conflict, you know, inside the organization. How, how they, they manage to, for instance, to limit the influence of a country? How they, they manage 
the fact to, to create a unity despite the Cold War. How they manage finally to accept or not um, uh, association inside the, the body. And, and I think, and it was my, my axis too, I tried to understand all this strategy that could involve in, in, or improve or change uh, during the time, huh? but all this strategy that, that uh, the football leaders tried to create to, to keep finally this community together. And yeah, and, I th- yeah. So I was going to say, actually, I think that comes a lot of that comes through very strongly. I, I didn't want to quite turn just yet to the Cold War. I wanted to ask another question before that. But the, the, the throughout throughout, especially the chapter in the Cold War, it's very clear um, the specific choices that people within UEFA make to um, make UEFA more palatable across that the, the Iron Curtain, across the divide, whether it's. Um, you know, pr- putting people into positions of power who were diplomats who spoke more than one language, who were naturally conciliatory, well liked, who came from small countries, um, especially you know Belgium or Switzerland or Denmark, mm-hmm. <laughs> countries that were uh, less offensive to um, either side. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that, I think that all came through very, very clearly. Uh, before we go to the Cold War, though, I just for my own interest, and I think for other people's interest as well, I, I would feel remiss if we didn't talk about the beginnings of some of the major cups. And and that also um, brings in another actor into your story, which is that FIFA and UEFA weren't just competing with each other, but they were also competing with these uh, sports impresarios and, and journalists who were trying to start kind of competing competitions uh, as well. And you can look think about figures like Gabriel Anno. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about, because, Philippe, you write so much in other places about cups and competitions and how these competitions lead to cooperations. I would I would feel like if I didn't ask you about this, I, it's like not asking, you know, myself about Vichy. That's so central to <laughs> what you work on. So um, can you tell us a little bit about all the competitions and how that drives the growth of UEFA? Uh, of course, and, and thanks for the question, because it is also an important aspect of what changed during the 50s. Because uh, until now, in this discussion, I've focused mainly on the organization body, on the football leaders that are involved in FIFA and UEFA and National Association. But of course... Uh, this European football community that merged probably uh, during the interwar period you, you, were, were, was composed also by a trainer, by a journalist, by probably some, as you said, impresarios that uh, managed some tournay. And uh, of course, all these people have, have also ideas. And as we know, uh, notably in, in, in a lot of sports, uh, journalists and, and newspapers play a major role in the creation of competition. And so what's happened during the 50s, as uh, you have this, this new context, that is what I, I've, I've uh, uh, explained probably a little bit better in, in the book published after my master thesis about, uh, around the the, the, the creation of the European Champions Cup, Cup but um, you, you have this new context of European football. You have the fact that you have probably a new step in professionalism that need new, the, the necessity for the big club to, to, to find a new income, uh, to finance the players. Uh, you have also uh, some uh, important leaders at the top of some clubs that wanted to 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 develop this international exchange as uh, Bernabeu, for instance, at the top of the Real Madrid. Um, you have also the mediatic uh, issue because uh, the some newspapers and particularly the great. Uh, 
sports newspapers, Gazeta, Gazeta dello Sport in Italy, of course, L'Equipe in France, uh, Bola, probably in Portugal. Uh, they, they wanted to, to have more and more information to create also more dramaturgy and that helped finally to sell more, uh, more newspapers. And so all this context made uh, something favorable for this whole uh, project, the idea to create a European competition. And of course, you are right, guy like Gabriel Hanno, uh, journalist at, at newspaper L'Equipe, one time he, he, he wrote in, the, in, in his journal, okay, it is, it is a time now to create a European uh, competition. And this time also probably thanks to other uh, factors, for instance, the, the use of the airplane that, that facilitates to travel during the week, uh, for instance, from France to Sweden and to come back during the weekend to play for the, your championship game. Uh, the, all these things uh, help the fact that the L'Equipe's idea had a big echo in, in the European press. And, th- and thanks to some network that, uh, that Anos and others has created since many years, because Gabriel Anno and his colleagues Jacques, Jacques de Rizvik were very ex- experimented journalists. And it was 20 years, more than 20 years, that they travel a lot a- a- around Europe, that they follow game. And so they knew a lot of people. And they managed to finally uh, create a consensus around this idea this project of a European competition. And what they made, they they proposed the project to UEFA at the first official general uh, assembly of UEFA held in Vienna in March 1955. But UEFA refused to organize it. So what they did, they, they, they managed with big newspapers and with big clubs to go on and to develop the project. And finally, UEFA saw that. UEFA was very young at this period. And if a project like this will be created, it could be not so good for his legitimacy. So finally, what UEFA did, it's to take over this project and to say, okay, we will organize a European Championship Cup. And it is very interesting because as if at the beginning in UEFA statute, you, you didn't have really um, the, the, the goal to create a competition. Finally, very quickly, what did, uh, what helped UEFA to, to obtain more legitimacy? It is the competition. And so uh, very quickly, UEFA uh, created other competition, tried to control all the competitions that exist uh, in the continent to foster its own competition. And finally, competition gave also money to UEFA because UEFA took a percentage on each game and also to, took a percentage on the broadcasting. That begins at the, at the end of the 50s already. And it is, I mean, one of the things you show is that it's this drive towards competition which actually leads to FIFA's expansion and its professionalization as they just need to do more. I I, want to, I I guess I really only have um, a couple more questions. I don't want to take up all your time, Philippe, but I do want to, I do want to touch finally on, on the Cold War, which is kind of a, you know, it's a it's a theme throughout your book, and you t- you're touching on it actually pretty much in every chapter. But chapter six, um, which for me was one of the richest, and I can see kind of assigning this as a chapter in in a class on sports history, for example. Um, but I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how UEFA, more than any other of these European cultural institutions, scientific um, organizations, why is it that UEFA was able to succeed in, in a kind of pan-European fashion when these other 
when these other competitions weren't. I mean, you can even look at Eurovision and there's Eurovision and Intervision. Really only football seemingly um, was able to was able to bring everyone together. So why UEFA? Why football? Yeah, but of course, uh, there were tensions uh, due to the Cold War. It's not the, the UEFA did not manage to avoid all the problem, and uh, at, at 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 some point in 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 his history, during some games in the competition on uh, around some topic, you can see, of course, the, the tension due to the Cold War. So and probably. Uh, my point of view is also influenced by my sources. And as I try to, to use what Alfred Valls, the famous uh, uh, French historian, historian that have, uh, was really a pioneer in the history of football, has written uh, to use the, the football ar- archive, les archives du football, the, the, food, the archive from the, the, the football institution, football association. Of course, uh, I, I am probably perhaps a little bit, um, as, uh, how can I say that? Uh, of course, probably so- someone that, that do probably a, a more diplomatic history, perhaps, uh, and will use also archives from for foreign ministry uh, or, or, and so on. Perhaps it will, it will focus a little bit more than me on, on the tension. But uh, to, to, to come back to your, to your uh, question, I think, as, as I tried to, 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 to show, the football leaders since the interwar period, because in the interwar period it was not the time of the Cold War, but you are already the uh, problem with, with the politicization of the game, they always try to manage to uh, limit this, the, the impact of the politicization of the game inside their body. So, 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 so they, they, they choose a different kind of strategy. Uh, often they, they, they choose uh, um, people very diplomat at the top of, of the bodies, notably the, the general secretary. Uh, they always try to use to have a discourse in their official um, report or in their uh, official discourse, very neutral. Uh, they always try to have like an in financial independency. So, for instance, not like in the United Nations that uh, a country is very important because it put a lot of money on the table. You know, it's not like this. This this kind of organization, FIFA and UEFA. Uh, they, they, they tried to 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 have uh, an autonomy, uh, notably thanks to their competition. So they, they were not in dependence with one or two countries. They were in dependence with all of their uh, member. And uh, they also tried to limit uh, the the impact. For for instance, uh, during the sixties inside UEFA you have a well-identified uh, block, you know. You have the block of the Eastern country, you have the block of the Entente de Florence, that is like the Latin uh, country. You have also a block uh, composed by the British and Scandinavian uh, association. And what the, uh, the UEFA leader did with this, it's that all block has to be represented equally in the board. So they always try to to discuss, you know, before the Congress, to limit the the conflict, to do informal meeting, uh, to, okay, you know, so it's it's very, I think, a a politic of of strategy. And... What, what I try to, to uh, study this, it's because I am very influenced by all the studies that uh, have been um, developed in what uh, we can uh, describe as the international organization uh, field of study. And, and uh, you, you have really this, this field very, uh, very inspiring and 
And a, a, a lot of, of scholars, for instance, in the university, at University of Lausanne, I have uh, a colleagues in, in, politic, in political sciences, uh, Lucille Mertens. She has just published a book called The Depolitization uh, in International Organization, you know. So, so I, I am very inspired by this kind of study, and that is why I, I've tried to put uh, also uh, some emphasis on, on all this strategy developed by the football leaders to limit the politicization uh, of the game. Yeah, I think um, when I was reading that section, it reminded me a lot of recent work by uh, Barbara Keyes and Heather Dichter. I think sports diplomacy is kind of a growing uh, a growing area of English, at least in the ang- Anglophone literature, although um, clearly, Philippe, you're way ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, okay, um, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, I... Um, I, I I'm, there's so much more we could talk about about this book. And um, I also want to emphasize for people that uh, at the end, you, you and throughout, but, but particularly at the end, uh, you, you um, for people who are interested in future projects, you, you acknowledge, hey, there are lots of spaces for future re- research in, into UEFA. Um, so this is not the, the end of the road. Um, I, I wonder, Philippe, uh, on that theme, uh, as a final question, what can we look forward to to reading from you next? What are you working on now? Yeah, I, I think regarding what you have said about uh, studies, uh, I, I think I've just I've just did uh, a little step, you know, and. Uh, I, I would be very happy if, if other scholars, uh, young students, uh, will do some PhD or uh, notably uh, about uh, the, the, the relation between UEFA and other European organizations, uh, also about the role of some countries, you know, for instance, uh, Soviet Union and UEFA, Yugoslavia and UEFA, or Spain and UEFA, you know, and uh, and it could be probably very helpful because it will be in complementary of what I've tried to to do, and perhaps it will also challenge uh, my some of my uh, of my uh, points. And uh, finally, I think also uh, to develop a little bit more this uh, European sport uh, uh, studies. And, and, and particularly to focus a little bit more on the other uh, European organization. We have already some, some, uh, some study or research, but not so much. I know that, for instance, now William Gasparini is, is working, but he's more a sociologist. So it's more on a recent period on uh, the, this European sport uh, uh, field. But I think it could be uh, next research that we can do. And what I am doing now, you know, I'm, I am very also, uh, my, my, my way will be probably not the same without my great uh, friend and colleagues, uh, Gregory Quinn, that you, you know well too. And so now I'm, I am involved in the, in the project with, with, with Gregory uh, on the establishment of of uh, sports in in Switzerland at the end of the of the 19th century, so we are doing uh, uh, a database uh, on sports leaders and are also focusing more on the cultural transfer of football in the in the Geneva and Lausanne area. But it is true that probably in the near future I will come back a little bit more on international sports. And uh, I would like perhaps to do something on the beginning of the internationalization uh, of sport, because I think, uh, uh, of course, you are right, uh, thanks to, to the, the, notably the, the work of Barbara Keys and Christian Eisenberg, too. We, we, we know already a lot, but we, we have still things to do with this, I think. 
I hope we don't run out of topics. I, you know, <laughs> I think we can't. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm joking. Thank you very yeah. much, Philippe. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank <laughs> you to you, Kiss. Uh, it yeah. was a pleasure to discuss with you, and also thank you very much because I see that you have do you you have done a careful reading of of my book, so it's it's make me very happy. Well, now I need to read the French version. I'm like, oh, I've missed out. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I haven't yeah, read the French version. Now I feel like, oh, you're right. It is longer. It has more. But um, that'll have to be a, pro a, a project for another day <laughs> right yeah, now. Yeah, probably. Uh, ju just for, for the people that are listening, the French version is free. Huh? You can upload it free on the editor website, uh, Peter Long. Yeah. Yes. Uh, otherwise, um, uh you you are paul grave mcmillan uh, 2020 i've been speaking this is you've been listening to new books in sports i've been speaking uh, a channel on the new books network i've been speaking with philippe vonald who is a senior researcher at the université de lausanne funded by the swiss Nas national science foundation and we've been speaking about his book As I said, an excellent book and, and, and really a necessary one if you want to know about UEFA's uh, origins. The book is Creating a United Europe of Football, the Formation of UEFA, 1949 to 1961. It came out uh, in 2020 with Paul Grave Macmillan. Although, as Philippe mentions, there's an earlier French version, which is free um, if you can read French. Uh, so um, I encourage people to pick up one or the other depending on their facilities with different languages. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us, Philippe. Thank you too, uh, Kiss. And uh, of course, I hope that all the people that uh, uh, are listening are, are in good health and good luck to everybody with this uh, difficult situation that we are living now. Oui, bien sûr. Bon, bon, uh, bon chance et bon courage à tous. <laughs> All right, Philippe. Super. Merci, Kiss.